So what are those things we can do to support individuals around us really uh, experiencing belonging, sense of belonging, right? And, and for me, it's notice your own reactions. Like when yeah. we're out there, notice if you didn't make eye contact. Yeah. Right? That's a very easy thing. It's not about donating money we don't have. It's not about changing systems. It's like on a human to human level, did you choose to make eye contact with the people walking past you? Did you choose to smile? Did you choose to say hello? The Life in Motion podcast is brought to you by Actual Outdoors. They help build beautiful brands that highlight the approachable and authentic parts of outdoor recreation. Said simply, they keep it real. Learn more at actualoutdoors.com. This is a Life in Motion audio experience, a podcast about travel, action sports, culture, and more. What's up and welcome to episode 139 of Life in Motion. I've got Laura and Mary with me from Justice Outside. Their nonprofit advances racial justice and equity within the outdoor and environmental movement. I'm excited to learn why it's so important and what they're doing to achieve it. Uh, Laura, Mary, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you for having us. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm excited to, um, to kind of dive into things um, with the organization. Uh, obviously, it's super important to kind of, uh, kind of break down some of those barriers and stuff. But before we kind of get into that, uh, let's kick things off with uh, your background stories, kind of, you know, where, where you grew up, how you kind of got involved with this, what kind of led you down this path uh, in the first place. And uh, Mary, we'll let you kick things off. Definitely. Thank you. Um, so my name is Mary Trailer, and I grew up in Los Angeles and currently live in South Pasadena, California. And um, I grew up in a very diverse setting. As we know, Los Angeles is a very diverse set, um, city. Um, and we had access to the beaches and the mountains and things like that. So I, I did have access to, um, you know, the outdoors around me. I grew up going to a camp, which I fell in love with each summer. Um, and it was a really pivotal place for me to really develop who I am and um, what I love to do. And um, through those experiences, uh, professionally, I went on to become a, an educator and social worker working in schools in Los Angeles. And um, what I really noticed is that um, a lot of Black and Indigenous and um, really kids of color um, in the area didn't really have the access to the outdoors in the ways that I did growing up. And um, even though they lived 15, 20 minutes from the beach or the mountains, um, a lot of them hadn't gone to these places before. And so I really was aware of the lack of access um, to the outdoors for specifically people of color, even though they were um, kids of color who lived in an urban society with access around them, um, they still weren't getting to these places. And so I spent a lot of time working with kids and families. Um, and around when the pandemic hit, I uh, really was like looking to do more, looking to do um, something different and um, spent a couple of years figuring out what I wanted to do next with my life. And um, this past, um, spring in the spring of 2022 um, is where I stumbled across Justice Outside and was really excited about the opportunity 
of working with an organization that does focus on um, justice and equity in regards to the outdoors. And really, um, Justice Outside has provided me an opportunity to um, really explore and expand my love for the outdoors through programming. Um, so I'm really excited to be working for the organization and just love the journey that I have been from, from be, you know working at a camp, being at a camp and um, just expanding that to now working at Justice Outside. Yeah. Yeah. Especially how, you know, it kind of the, those experiences kind of build and then now you're, you're, you know, helping others have those same experiences. So, so going back to um, specifically with just like the outdoor camp and stuff that you attended growing yeah. up, what, what was it like that got you, I guess, hooked about the, in the outdoors in first place that obviously led to all of this? Like, was it, was it the people that you're around, yeah, maybe, um, you know, counselors, that kind of stuff? Like what, what was it that, that's kind of kept you hooked all these years? Yeah, I think um, I've, I've definitely thought about this a lot. And what really has like hooked me is um, one summer camp when you're it's when you're going to an overnight camp, it's an immersive experience in the outdoors. Um, so you're spending night and day uh, surrounded by nature, um, being in the mountains, surrounded by different species. And um, it's just so different from living in the city and being in the city. Um, and then along with that, being able to connect with people in the outdoors is just such a different experience um, yeah. for me personally than than what happens in like the during the city life. Like everyone is like the hustle and bustle, doing their own thing, um, figuring out you know their own challenges. But when you're away at camp in the outdoors, building community together, it's it's just such a healing space. And I think I picked up on that very early on. Um, in my childhood and just have been <laughs> almost addicted ever since. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, and, and especially if it's, you know, an overnight camp or something like that, you know, each, uh, each individual is, is there, you know, for their own reasons, but you're kind of out of your, everybody's out of their comfort zone, which um, at least in my own yeah. experience, every time I'm out of my comfort zone, that's kind of, those are when those kind of honest conversations and, and that really connection really starts to happen. So it's cool that you experience that um, you know, during those camps. Yeah, definitely. I, I completely agree that it, um, becomes such a different experience and you do get out of your comfort zone in ways that, um, you may not be able to when you're down the mountain, as I say, and the conversations, <laughs> the uh, relationships are just like, they flourish at camp. They really Absolutely. do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, Laura, what about yourself? Sure. Well, first of all, my name is Laura Rodriguez. And um, I'll share that my pronouns are she and her. Um, I was born and raised in rural central California. Um, it's beautiful out here. It's slow. Uh, I grew up on a dairy farm. My father worked okay. there. He didn't, you know, we didn't own it um, as, a, as a part of the Latinx, you know, Mexican community. Um, he was one of the, of the workers there. And at the same time, you know, as children, you do kind of get to run around your environment like you own the place because you're kids. So for me, being uh, being raised out in the Central Valley was, you know, full of the outdoors every single day. So much, right, um, yeah. that you you kind of take it for granted. Actually, I I, I took it for granted 
because it was my everyday reality, running around, climbing, you know, what felt like buildings of haystacks, uh, climbing the ladders of, you know, mills, um, looking all the way down to find a family of owls, just, (laughs) you know, the orchards, the peach orchards were our front yard, the walnut orchards were our side, side yard. Um, So just really surrounded by the outdoors vegetable garden in our own backyard and um, definitely just being a part of the Central Valley, you you do know where your food comes from. And uh, and at the same time, we're close enough to sort of the foothills of the Sierras to make our way out there, um, you know, once a week or every couple of weeks to to have picnics, to be to be sort of in the outdoors. Um, and at this end, what is also true is that I didn't grow up going camping um, at, or participating in what folks would call, right, to, what folks call hiking, right, as a thing yeah. to do. Didn't really know that those things were happening. I wasn't aware as a child that I wasn't necessarily participating in those things. You know, um, it wasn't until I moved to the Bay Area as an adult, having gone down to LA for college, spent, you know, several years uh, down there afterwards um, as well. Uh, And then at, you know, the age of 29, I'm going to say, moved up to the Bay Area of California, where, you know, folks may or may not know is just like tons and tons of hills and tons of sort of more quote unquote traditional outdoor recreational things to do like the kayaks and the rafting and the hiking and what, you know, the backpacking, all the things. So um, I was 29 years old when I set up my first tent and between hanging out with friends who said, let's go backpacking, um, who who introduced me to to that and participating in a rafting program, uh, volunteering with the Sierra Club, um, I, I got immediately immersed in what we, this field, the outdoor recreation, outdoor field tends to think of as the more recreational activities. Um, I just became completely exposed to all of that. And I, I did have this immediate like, whoa, where has this been all my life? (laughs) Right. Um, And so very quickly I bought into and repeated this sort of myth that folks of color aren't in the outdoors, right? Because in the more recreational activities, like I just described, it is true that I didn't see myself um, represented. I didn't see folks that look like me, not to the same degree, right? Uh, The ones and twos here and there. And so I definitely very immediately started noticing that, really thinking about what that meant and wanting to do something about it. And then at the same time, I had to really kind of shake the cobwebs off of my memory to notice and remember that, in fact, I've I've grew up in the outdoors, right? And it just looked a little different from what the Bay Area recreationalists might consider the outdoors. Um, and so now I sort of, you know, and then I met Kim Moore Bailey, our president and CEO, um, you know, eight, nine years ago. And uh, she had just joined our organization at the time. And um, she was out doing a public event, participating in a panel. I was part of the audience 
you know, as a Sierra Club volunteer for this rafting group, uh, thinking to myself, this person is amazing. How can I learn more about her and her organization? And, um, you know, I just ultimately ended up becoming involved in, in some ways. And when there was a position open um, shortly after I applied and she took a chance on me, as I like to say, and, and now here we are. Um, but it really was about the du- sort of the duality of wanting to address what is real about representation and lack of access to the many different ways to participate in the outdoors and at the same time elevating and validating the very many and vast experiences and relationships that folks of color have with the outdoors, with Mother Earth, with the planet, right? So it's um, it's been an amazing trip for me um, to, to work for Justice Outside for all these years because it really is very personal. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say, as you were painting the picture of, of kind of your childhood, um, it, it was a very lovely picture. I'll say that I'm just imagining running through getting uh, fresh peaches and and all that kind of exploring and seeing owls and everything. Um, but and it's really interesting, too. Like you said, it wasn't until, you know, you were 29 or so that um, you experienced kind of the the uh, I guess the more uh, recreational aspect of the outdoors with the different activities. Um, and then, of course, took notice to um, you know, not, not seeing others, um, uh, out there kind of as yourself. Um, and it sounds like you, you both kind of stumbled upon, uh, sort of the, the best, uh, organization based on not only your passion or passion for the outdoors, but passions, uh, for others as well. So I guess it's a good segue, um, into, you know, actually, what, what the organization does kind of the mission. I, I know you mentioned, uh, you know, um, you, you met the now president a, a while ago, but kind of how, how did, how did that all start to, to kind of make this or begin this movement? Yeah. Thank you for that question. You know, we were really a, um, what Kim kind of inherited was a grant making program pretty specifically. And one of the charges, if not the most important charge that was, you know, given to her upon hiring was figuring out what else this organization could really be about so that it was sort of a sustainable, you know, organization with a purpose, you know, that might be kind of in perpetuity, you know, perhaps. Um, And so she really took some time to listen to the community, their Uh, were past grantee partners, there were current grantee organizations, there were other folks who'd been partnering with with us um, at the time. And what she learned and what she heard, um, and ultimately what we heard together from, from folks was that people were wanting a relationship and a partner from, from us that was authentic and you know, collaborative and really less transactional, not just cutting of the check. Those are nice, right? Thank you for the grant. But what, you know, in what ways could we be in partnership? And people were asking a couple of sort of, we might call them buckets because this is how the programs that we now have been running for eight years, you know, eight, nine years, um, really sort of took their shape. We had sort of a cohort of, nonprofit organizations in the outdoor, environmental ed, environmental field that were predominantly 
um, at the time, white-led organizations with predominantly white staff. And they were, uh, at the time, and very much still today, we're, we're working on these things, right? They were asking themselves, how can we be more inclusive, be more culturally relevant? And maybe at the time, back in 2014, folks weren't really saying, you know, how can we be more equitable? It took some time to get there with that jargon and that concept. But people were really saying, how can we be more inclusive, more diverse, and more culturally relevant? And so we developed a, basically a, a set of modules and programs and created a cohort for those grantee partners to come together and kind of unpack those things together. And at the same time, we heard from individual leaders of color um, that the field is a really lonely place, that they might find themselves being a one or two, you know, member um, POC staff in an organization, and that felt really isolating to them. And so we heard from, from them, we would love a space where we can come together much more often than the one conference a year, maybe, where we all look for each other, huddle and find community, right? And so we created the Rising Leaders Fellowship for that space so that folks could create a network, develop and practice their skills, um, thinking about organizational health, for example, how do you think about your own professional trajectory um, and begin to think about what your plan is. But And then also very importantly, really thinking about how do we engage the people around us in a constructive and productive conversation around anti-racism, equity, inclusion, power, privilege, you know, all of those things um, in ways where we can take care of ourselves because it can be taxing, right? And yeah. even harmful for folks. So how do you do that in ways that feel productive and constructive and healthy to you and also that help to shift the needle a little bit, right? Um, in your immediate surrounding community. And then we brought in-house a program that um, we we didn't um, create from, uh, con from concept, but we brought it in-house, the Outdoor Educators Institute that we had been subcontracting um, to others to implement. We brought it in-house and we made some changes based on the feedback that we heard from the past participants of that program. Um, and again, really centering um, participation of Black, Indigenous, and folks of color in both that program as well as the Rising Leaders Fellowship. Um, and again, as our mission states, right, we really are working to advance racial justice and equity in the outdoor environmental movement. And we do it by shifting resources, the grant making, right, um, building power, and centering the voices and leadership of Black, Indigenous, and folks of color. Uh, when we started, we were rooted, we are rooted in the Central Bay Area and Central California was where sort of our grant making started. Uh, but today we are a national organization. Our grant making is national and constantly growing. Um, our programs have expanded nationally as well. And of course, we, we all had to during and after the, uh, the pandemic, we can talk more about what those programs look like now. Um, but it's been really amazing to see how both sort of the outdoor environmental, environmental justice fields, um, as well as like philanthropy and the funder world, since we get to wear both hats, right, um, have 
really embraced our mission and our work and um, have supported us also in working to elevate and amplify the voices and the leadership of Black, Indigenous, and folks of color across the country. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like when um, when things kind of first started uh, for Justice Outside, there, there were already kind of the people, like you mentioned, sort of... Um, uh, you know, the individuals that, that are white kind of leading these groups in, in that sense. But it sounded like, you know, they they were sort of ready to have that inclusion. They just didn't know where to start. At, at least that's how I understood it. And then you all came in to kind of help that. And, and that was that was an amazing kind of top over overview um, uh, point of view there as as far as, you know, what what you all are doing. Um, and not only that, but being able to grow, you know, from a local organization to uh, more of an, a national organization. So, so, so I guess, I guess in that regard, like what are some of those different um, kind of specific uh, programs and whatnot um, and some of the different impact that, that you're kind of seeing, you know, within the, the communities that, that you're working in? Or Mary, you want to, you want to kick us off? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I oversee three programs, the Outdoor Educators Institute um, Rising Leaders Fellowship and the Cultural Relevancy Series. And like Lauda said, um, <clears throat> OEI, the Outdoor Educators Institute, is our flagship program, the, the longest program we've had at Justice Outside. And it is um, geared towards um, young adults of color um, that range from the ages of 18 through the tw their 20s, um, and it's to provide an opportunity for them to gain exposure and access to different outdoor um, recreation fields, um, leadership opportunities and trainings um, to really set them up to explore different careers that um, are available in um, the outdoor industry. And um, being being... And, and so what it, it's a three month program um, and they spend their weekends going on different trips, um, being trained by different um, organizations um, that may include um, kayaking, um, learning how to backpack, um, going fishing, birding, um, biking. And we work with local um, organizations to provide an opportunity for our participants. Um, along with different trainings um, around curriculum design and um, wilderness first aid, things like that. We offer a variety of exposure and um, educational experiences for these young adults. And um, it has, for me, this is my first year working at Justice Outside, and it's been amazing to learn about the impact um, that this program has specifically on our participants. Um, I've, I've been um, able to speak with um, alumnex, past participants, and also those who participate in the cohorts this year. And um, everyone just raves about how important, one, import, how important this program is to them, and, but also the community and experiences that they are able to create through the program has um, really benefited their um, livelihood, benefited um, who they are as a person, and um, has really impacted them in um, a multitude of ways. And so coming on board and being able to really learn about the impact has been um, just a tremendous experience. Um, so other than that, we have our Rising Leaders Fellowship, which um, Laura also mentioned, and that is an opportunity for uh, mid-level 
um, folks, professionals who work in um, outdoor or environmental um, justice type organizations to come together um, for a fellowship that takes place monthly um, between April and November. And so they meet once a month um, and are trained in different topics um, that include um, trauma-informed care, um, program evaluation, curriculum development, um, and so on. And it's a great um, opportunity for these professionals to gain leadership um, skills and really connect with other um, Black, Indigenous, and people of color who are in similar professions. Um, and again, speaking with um, people who have participated in these cohorts, um, they are just so um, grateful to be in a space with like-minded folks, to be in a space, um, an affinity space with other people of color who may be going through the same struggles or challenges at work that they may be going through. And um, again, it's a very um, impactful program. And we find that uh, folks who do go through our programs, they want more. And so that's something we're in the process of really exploring is an <laughs> network to how do we keep folks connected? How do we continue to provide um, professional learning experiences and community building experiences for them? Because it's definitely a need. These programs are very needed in our communities and um, we can see it through the impact of our participants. Um, yeah. And then lastly, the 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 last um, program that I oversee is the Cultural Relevancy Series, which um, is, a, is a little different. It is a program that's offered to, um, we usually work with a funder who has in um, a group of grantees that they work with. And then we offer um, this Cultural Relevancy Series, which is also a series of workshops um, for their grantees. And so um, we're looking to um, really bring that program back. Yeah. Well, it sounds like, uh, yeah. you know, definitely the, the, everybody kind of wanting more what's, what's after these programs uh, is, is a, a testament to the impact that you're having. And it sounds like everything's very, uh, very intentional in, in what you're doing as well. So I, I do have one question, like as far as the, the first program, um, how, I guess, how are you getting uh, people involved in that in the first place? You know, if they're kind of the younger adults, maybe haven't been kind of exposed to the outdoors in that way before, for whatever reason, um, how, how are you kind of finding those, those individuals in the first place and say, Hey, this is something you should try. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think how, um, when, when the program first took off, you know, years ago, I think there was a lot of, um, in person, like connecting with people. So a lot of flyering, going to college campuses um, and connecting with folks in that way. Um, a lot of face-to-face -face and um, really going to <laughs> different communities and places where young adults are um, and saying, hey, would you be interested in this program? Um, and then from there, I think there's a lot of word of mouth of folks who um, have participated and suggest the program to their friends, colleagues, um, and say, hey, you should participate in this. And there's a lot of that also. And then um, 
you know, social media presence, um, really, we, we have a, a huge connection, um, a network of folks that, um, and organizations, community members that uh, know our programs now really well and are able to also help us to recruit and um, market to different folks in the area. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, so I think, I th it, and, and now it, it has gotten to the point where sometimes we have wait lists for the next year or those who... Wow. Um, would like to, you know, be prioritized for the next um, session of OEI. And so, um, but as we expand to different, um, you know, communities outside of the Oakland Bay Area, Central Valley area of California, um, really building those relationships and building um, um, different partnerships with um, community members in that area is going to be very vital for us to continue to grow. Yeah. You know, Jeremy, if it's okay to jump in here and, you know, um, thinking a little bit about um, a couple of additional programs, maybe before we get to the part around sort of what is the greater impact of all of these programs on, on sort of the community in the field. Um, we definitely don't want to move on without mentioning our Liberated Paths grant making program, um, which is the, you know, the opportunity that we had a couple years ago, I think starting in 2020 to make our grant making a national endeavor. Um, and it also really had gave us the spaciousness to um, do away with some of the criterias that is kind of traditional in philanthropy um, that that tend to create barriers for individuals or whether they are already an organization with a 501c3 or not. And, and if you don't have one, usually that's an added barrier. But so Liberated Paths as a grant making program uh, gave us the spaciousness to say we're going to prioritize grant making to individuals or organizations that are led by Black, Indigenous and folks of color who are engaging like communities um, and it gave us the opportunity to go down to the Southwest, the Pacific Northwest, um, along the coast of in all of California. Um, now we're in the East Coast and, um, and and starting in 2023, we'll also be in the Carolinas with that grant making. And, wow. and it's so powerful and exciting to be able to say, we're also not going to require that you have a 501c3 or even a fiscal sponsor for you to be eligible to receive these funds to advance your vision, right? Because we know that requiring those things is an added barrier, especially more often disproportionately impacting individuals, leaders of color with these great ideas, right? Um, and so for us, Liberated Pass as a grant making program is a very, very exciting opportunity to um, continue to advance our mission. Um, and then the other program that I'll talk about briefly is uh, what we call training and support. And that's just sort of our way of talking about our consultation work, um, which was also something that was born very organically uh, back in the day when folks would say to us inside of Rising Leaders or the Outdoor Educators Institute, they would say, wow, I can't believe we're talking about power and privilege. Uh, would you be able to come to my whole organization and have this this module or this training with the whole organization, we said, sure, we can do that. Um, and so, you know, we we created a consultation business out of it that that also very quickly went national. Um, and today is a very, very active and very robust um, part of our work um, as its own program. 
Um, it includes, you know, offering organizations um, equity audits. And sometimes it's a short-term relationship with some trainings. And sometimes it's a very long-term relationship where we're really taking our time with working to identify the opportunities that they might have to continue to advance their own equity and anti-racism efforts. Um, so in, in thinking about your greater question of like, what is the impact of these programs? I mean, M Mary mentioned some of it, but um, truly like access to jobs, right? So job readiness, the Outdoor Educators Institute has a really um, strong reputation now. We get emails from folks saying, hey, can you share these opportunities with your alumnex of the Outdoor Educators Institute? Uh, can you share this with rising leaders folks? Um, people discover that they have more agency than they thought they did within their organizations, right? They have a voice. They know they have a voice, but they get to practice it, maybe find more courage to use their voice, uh, to speak up to um, about things that are important to them as it relates to equity, inclusion, justice. Um, they might get um, promotions or have opportunities for upward mobility within their own organizations. And um, and like we said, and Mary was um, so on point to just mention that folks want more. They want more from the network that they develop within the programs they participate in. And then we also sort of ear to the ground say, what does more look like? And so I don't know, Mary and Jeremy, if we have time to talk about it, but there's sort of an iteration of the Outdoor Educators Institute as the extension of which this year launched as um, OEI Pathfinders. And it was really us um, making an effort to respond to individuals who were saying, okay, we tried the field, we tried working for organizations, um, the issues are vast, the isolation is, is real, uh, the emotional labor of being a potentially tokenized, right, or whatever harm they might be experiencing as individuals of color or additional identities that are marginalized and impacted, um, they, they've said, we're ready to create our own thing. Um, and so how do you support that? And so we created um, Pathfinders and launched it this year. So I don't know if we have time, but if about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thanks for that, Laura. Um, yeah, this past summer, we had six um, OEI alumnex participate in our um, inaugural OEI Pathfinders program. And this cohort was able to um, really focus on developing their own projects that um, had to do with the intersectionality of racial justice and equity in relation to the outdoors. Um, and it was a, it, it was a, a great opportunity for them to be trained and mentored by expert leaders in different um, project and program development um, areas such as um, budget training, um, curriculum development, just really how to, how to really explore different areas and create a program outline, things of that sort. And um, they were also offered coaching to really help with the development of their projects. And it was a beautiful five-month um, session, five-month program, program, which um, a few of them thought you know, I wish this was longer. I wish we were able to do this <laughs> um, longer because they really appreciated the opportunity to begin the development of their own program. And they've learned how to um, pitch to funders, things like that. And um, I was able to attend the the end 
of the program retreat, which was um, a wonderful way for me to meet the participants in person and really hear the impact. Yeah, we're excited to launch our second cohort um, this upcoming summer and to really just expand and providing resources and training to help folks create their own projects um, to really help impact the field as we see it now. That That's awesome. It's, it, you know, it's, you know, kind of like the same thing as, you know, like a, a business incubator, except, you know, for kind of the social good aspect of it, which is, which is really awesome. So where, like, where are those participants kind of located? Are they kind of lo- local in, in the Bay Area or is that expanded as well? Yeah. So this um, was a local program for our alumni in the Bay Area and the Central Valley of California. Um, and um, so as we think about expansion, we will also think about how to expand this program once we um, have more alumnix, uh, you know, around the country. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. We're going to be, um, we're going to be launching an outdoor educators Institute cohort in Seattle um, is the plan for 2023. And so that'll be the very first time that the outdoor educators Institute is not only outside of the Bay area and the central Valley region, but also outside of California. So it's a great question for, you know, where are these folks coming from down the line? I think they'll be everywhere. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, taking the, you know, your over overall kind of organizational mission, kind of focusing all that, all the kind of the know-how on these other individuals in, in different communities that want to start their own thing um, that are really passionate about. So then they can go create that ripple effect, you know, wherever they're located, which obviously amplifies everything that you're doing in the first. Yeah. And, you know, it also, I, I, I love that you use the phrase know-how because there is a lot that we aren't taught. That is the know-how of like the other side of making something start up or like Mary said, pitching to funders. Like there are a lot of things that we aren't taught and therefore we don't have that know-how. And at the same time, we believe so firmly, right, that the folks closest to the uh, communities they're already a part of or the folks closest to any challenges or problems they're trying to address are also the folks closest to the solution, right? And so they have that know-how of how to be in community with their, their own communities already, right? Um, they, they have ideas, they have brilliant ideas um, and visions for what to do, what kinds of activities, how to make it resonate, how to make it land, how to take care of, of each other um, and make it a, a joyful space for folks. And so, you know, there's a lot that we can work to ensure they have exposure to, to support them in that sort of startup phase. And then we also... Uh, are just firm believers that they have so much know-how and wisdom and and answers already. Yeah, no, absolutely. And yeah, it sounds like a, a, an amazing kind of resource. Um, and, and it's cool to hear you all um, expand expand that into different areas um, and offer that again um, in, in this year. So uh, is there, are, I guess, are there any other kind of, it sounds like there, there's a lot of, a lot of moving parts, uh, within justice outside, um, you know, from, from businesses to individuals, to groups, to, uh, everything in between, what are, is there anything else kind of on the horizon, um, that you all are working on, or is it kind of just focusing on the things that we, uh, that we just spoke about? Well, we have really uh, exciting plans for expansion that some of which we mentioned, um, and expansion really being a word that we get to sort of play with. What does it mean, right? It doesn't have to just mean more numbers, 
um, but maybe that, you know, breadth versus depth. So next year, we're also really excited um, to be, uh, and we just announced it a little bit ago, we're going to, we're going to have our first ever conference um, and it's going to be held in Oakland, um, April 27th and 28th, I'm going to say, um, that last Thursday and Friday of April. And, you know, it's really an invitation for everybody um, in the greater community to to join us. And we're also, like, like you sort of noted, Jeremy, with very, um, we're very intentional about um, centering again, not only our um, Black, Indigenous, and leaders of color, um, but just centering the experiences of Black, Indigenous, and people of color, generally, broadly speaking, right? And so the conference will, um, will look to do that. Um, it's going to look to cultivate community, to center joy, uh, and to build power together. And so it next year is going to be the first um, conference. I don't know if it'll be an annual conference, but it'll definitely be our first. Um, and we're very, very excited about that. Well, it sounds like it's a, if it's a, anything like your other programs, it will probably become an annual <laughs> conference. Uh, it sounds like, you know, everybody's kind of getting, getting that value, like I said, or mentioned from there. So, um, no, that's great. So yeah, excited to kind of keep a, keep an eye out on that. So kind of, um, kind of bringing up uh, intentionality again, kind of kind of leads me into um, a, a question I always like to ask our, our um, guests, you know, as far as one piece of advice that our listeners can can take away. When it when it comes to in uh, us individually kind of being intentional about, um, you know, some of those those barriers that we create for people of color or as an organization or groups or whatnot, that some might be intentional, some might not be intentional. What would your advice be to kind of to be more intentional about kind of having the, that that welcomeness um, that you know everybody has a right to? You know. Yeah, um, I think what what comes to mind when 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 you ask that question first is the idea that um, I think of. Uh, black, indigenous, and people of color to know that we belong outside and that it is our birthright to be outside and to be in relationship with um, the different species around us. And from there, knowing that is for BIPOC folks to know that they belong and that they that there are organizations and communities that um, worked towards providing access and entry into these spaces and then <clears throat> and then also knowing that like um for for all people to know that how we treat each other in the outdoors is very important um and to just create the space for all beings to be outside yeah i, I thanks love it. for that mary do you have anything to add to that Sorry. well you know i I really appreciate the question and I really appreciate what Mary just said because my response is some of that tactical, like, so what are those things we can do to support individuals around us really uh, experiencing belonging, sense of belonging, right? And, and for me, it's notice your own reactions. Like when yeah. we're out there, notice if you didn't make eye contact. Yeah. 
right? That's a very easy thing. It's not about donating money we don't have. It's not about changing systems. It's like on a human to human level, did you choose to make eye contact with the people walking past you? Did you choose to smile? Did you choose to say hello? If you have a little bit longer interaction with folks, don't sound so surprised. Notice if you're feeling surprised and yeah. then think about how you will actually react, right? Um, when those very subtle but not subtle and impact kinds of things happen, they chip away at the sense of belonging of an individual. If you are surprised that I am here and I feel that, then I can also feel you don't actually think I belong here, right? Because if you did, you wouldn't be so shocked that I was here. And if you smile at me and say hello, then I can feel the humanity in you. But if you're closed up, then I know you've brought your assumptions and your you know, baggage and our societal, you know, issues from that outer world, that world out there where we're all dealing with it. And you brought it into the outdoors, which a lot of people like to believe is a quote unquote, even playing field. But when we are in human to human interaction, if we brought all that stuff with us, no, it's not right. So for me, sense of belonging and what as an individual we can do is just that like humanizing humility of just being kind and kind and welcoming to each other. Yeah, no, I know. I, I love that, you know, kind of breaking it and boiling it down to the simplest of things from eye contact to, uh, you know, a smile um, and, and kind of everything along with that. So I, I think those are both uh, excellent pieces of advice. Um, and, and you're right, you know, sometimes we don't realize what what cues that that we're putting off, you know, and how they might make that the the other person feel in that regard. So I think that's excellent. Definitely. So, so, so to that point, where where can people find you online um, to, to check out your programs, um, you know, maybe get involved uh, resources, those kinds of things? It's super easy. It's justiceoutside.org. Uh, and you can check out every one of the programs that Mary and I talked about. You can learn about how to apply for any of them, including the Liberated Paths grant making um, or anything at all. Um, all of our bios of our very um, amazing and growing staff are on our website. You can email us directly from there. So we're very easy to reach. You just have to go to justiceoutside.org. Awesome. Well, everyone, definitely uh, make sure you check out the website, different programs, resources, um, some some amazing work that you all are doing, like I said, from from all different kind of angles within the outdoor uh, space. Um, and it's and it's really uh, amazing to hear kind of that impact and and, and the need and the thirst from the participants um, for you all to, to continue to offer programs and kind of build upon them. So I'm definitely excited to see. Uh, what's to come. But yeah, thank you all both again. And I wish you all the best of luck as things continue to progress. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you, Jeremy. Thanks for listening. And hey, if you made it this far and like what you've heard, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and let your friends know about life in motion. Until next time.